Whew. Church should be fun. Don't tell anybody that. Uh, two things. Number one, um, the yellow truck has been out this week. On Monday, the yellow truck was serving an organization, and, and I think there were 50 or 60 gang members out there. Um, it was so cool. I mean, I was just blown away. Um, and then on Wednesday, the yellow truck was out with our, with our high schoolers. Is that right? And we were at the EMS or EMT. Is that right? Um, I mean, really, really cool. So our high schoolers were out there serving kind of the frontline medical community. Um, that was incredible. And then on Friday, we were supposed to be at Captain Seth Mitchell, the memorial run that you guys did, Connie and Steve, and we got rained out. Um, but here's the point. The yellow truck is this tool, and we're suddenly getting phone calls for people. They're asking us to bring the truck to them. Like We, we even got... We even got an apartment complex that has called and said, hey, will you just come serve to our people? So now listen to me. This is an opportunity for us to take church where? The idea is that we not just ask people to come in here, but we actually go out there. So here's the deal. If you want to get a part of the yellow truck, Shannon, will you raise your hand? Come over and see Shannon. You can get signed up on the website. Um, We would love to to have you as a part of that team. Okay, second thing. I'm going to move the platform. Uh, One of our overseers, Jim Snyder, is here this morning. He is sitting right over here to my right. I've known Jim since I think I was 12, I I think. I'm 40, so you do the math. Um, Jim's wife, Diane, is right over here. And wave at us, Diane. And then is this Kate, their oldest Kate? Okay, good to have you guys. Um, Let me just tell you one thing about Jim, because this is so, for for me, it's special. I've actually been, he's a counselor, he's been a senior pastor, he's been an associate pastor, he's been an executive pastor, they've been in ministry, you know, forever. Um, But there's something about Jim, when you walk in the room and you begin to talk to him, here's what it's like to me. It's going to be okay, because Jesus is in this with you. There's something calming about he and Diane, there's something safe, and if I ever do anything stupid, God forbid, really, they're here to step in. Everybody take a deep breath. Ready? Jim, come on up here and let me say a prayer. Father, I am so um, humbled to stand um, next to, beside, and under a man like Jim and a woman like Diane. Father, I pray that as he shares today, that you would um, powerfully unfurl something in the spirit that would draft all of us in. Father, we want to know you more. Thank you for Jim. And instead of amen, let's all take a deep breath in. (sighs) Come, Lord Jesus. I don't know if that's weird or not. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to go with it. Um, as he said, I'm one of the overseers here, and that simply means that there's, I'm actually one of four. And we're really here just to provide another layer of eyes to see and hear what God's doing. We're not the police. We're not the sheriff. We're not the spiritual you know, guardians. We're really here to provide what we've learned because wouldn't you rather learn it, you know, ahead of time? I heard someone say once, the problem with experience is you only get it after you need it. (laughs) Think through that. (laughs) 
You only get it after you need it. It's like, dang, I wish I'd have known that. Um, I want to take a little teaching moment here. This isn't the sermon. This just happened about five minutes ago. <laughs> I love this. Um, you know, when you're in worship, hopefully you're engaged at a number of levels. You're engaged mentally in the sense that you have memories of where that song takes you. Um, as a therapist, I talk a lot with clients about neural pathways, and those are that's a big fancy word that just describes the fact that certain things can cause you to think certain ways. And so in worship, um, you know, we all have pictures that get created in our mind. And so, you know, on the one hand, when I hear a mandolin, I go back to Boone. He just takes me to the mountains every single time. I grew up in southern West Virginia and lived in the mountains my whole life. So that was normal for me. I heard that all the time. For some of you, that may have been like, what is that? That's a small guitar. <laughs> <laughs> when, in, when in essence, it takes you someplace, right? Would you agree? Yeah. Well, when they did that song, um, Holy, 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 where does that take you? Because, see, that's an important, important thing. And I love the fact that it's rooted completely in Scripture. That wasn't just a cool little verse that somebody thought up. In, in Revelation 4, this is where it always takes me. And the reason I'm doing this, I guess, as an overseer for a second, I'm just using this as a moment to encourage you as a church to stay engaged during worship and let the Holy Spirit take you somewhere. Let him take you somewhere. I've stopped apologizing for the tears. I've just, oh well, I can't figure it out. I passed 60 and things changed. <laughs> So here we are. So I want to read you this section out of Revelation. And again, this isn't the sermon, but this is a moment the Lord wants to put something here. And this is Revelation 4, and it's John's picture of what he saw. He saw this. You realize Revelation was, is nothing but a book of visions that this guy saw. A John and he saw it on an island called Patmos and in the midst of his vision he tells you what it's about he says the vision of the revelation of Jesus so this thing is about Jesus and he's giving you various pictures of heaven and worship is supposed to take you there and so at any point along the way when I hear that verse I go to this section and he says, and around the throne. So John is describing what was going on around the throne in heaven. And you know what? It's happening right now. And what we did and what churches all over, what PC3 does hopefully and what LifePoint does and all these churches all over the world, hopefully we are joining ourselves to what's already happening in heaven. And there's an incredible symphony honoring Jesus. That's what worship is. So we get down here and 
And John begins to write, and he says, Around the throne and on each side of the throne are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. And don't trip up about the literalness of it. You don't, these, this stuff is symbolic. He says, And around the throne you have these things happening. And the first living creature was like a lion. And again, this is all symbolic. I can't do it today. I've got other things. And then at the very end, in verse 8... Because I know some of you are going to want to know, well, what is that? It's a lion. The second looked like an ox. The third like the face of a man. And the fourth like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And that's just nothing but the, the symbolism of God's um, uh, omnipresence where he's, he can see everything. Omniscience. He knows everything. Omnipresence, he's everywhere. Those eyes represent the fact that he sees it all. I'm grateful. And it says, all around the throne and within, and day and night, they never cease to say what we just sang. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures giving glory and honor gave and thanks to him who is seated who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders that are around this massive throne, they fall down before him who is seated and they worship. That's why that song messes me up every single time. He's such a good father. Uh, I remember in seminary at one point, one of my professors called him the Holy Other. So on the one hand, we carry this personal relationship with Jesus as something familiar. And we say things like Abba and Daddy, and we, we use all kinds of personal and familiar connotation to describe him. But there's another piece of him. There's another side. And you have to hold that too. And you hold those in concert. And the reason is it keeps us from being too familiar. But it also keeps us honest about who we're honoring. And why it's important to be with the Father. Yes, he's holy. But he's also the one that tore the veil and said, please come. So you hold those in tension. So when you're in worship. I just want to encourage you to become, and, and hopefully we as a church become a place. We become a place where we hold those in tension. So on the one hand, we go crazy and we're excited with, you know, turning graves to gardens. Good night. That's awesome. And it's got lots of energy in it and it's got lots of stuff in it. But then there's also that aspect of the Father who takes you to this holy place and says, wow, I can't say anything other than you're holy. That's all I got. That's all I got. And so as you progress in your time walking with Jesus, let worship be a place where you enter into this concert that is, according to this, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That's who we worship and honor. And so in light of that, 
Another time, in other cultures, they do different things, but in our culture, we tend to clap for something that we really love and honor. Let's honor the Lord with a clap. You know, he's holy other, but he's also the one that meets you at night and the one that shows up every stinking time he shows up and he's good. I want to share with you this morning about some things um, that I think are important. You know, currently in our world, there's a lot of pressure currently. And pressure has this unusual ability of being very revealing. Pressure has the ability to reveal what's really inside something. I worked on a, growing up, I, I did every kind of construction job I could because I just wanted to learn things and I was a laborer and I did everything imaginable. I did some landscaping like Michael does and I did other things. But one job I had one summer in between a couple of semesters at Marshall is I uh, worked on a, a hotel and we were building this, this pretty good sized hotel and I was uh, the guy that had to clean up whatever messes were made anywhere. And I remember one day the plumbers, and those guys, if there's a plumber in here, man, clean your stuff up. <laughs> I mean, don't leave it, don't leave all that stuff for everybody else. So I'm cleaning up after these plumbers and, you know, somebody's got to do it, right? So we were cleaning up. And uh, one of the things they did back then, I don't know if they do this now, but when they would plumb either a house or a building, they would put air pressure on the lines after they were finished and, they, and everybody would have to stop and they would put air pressure on it and if there was a leak anywhere, that pressure would reveal it and it would start hissing. And they would say, oh, this, this shutoff valve is not right or oh, this isn't right over here. Oh, I didn't get this tight enough. And so the pressure revealed the weaknesses. Right now, I believe that God is allowing all that we're in politically, medically, health-wise, all this stuff. I think all of that is pressure, and he's trying to reveal and show us how we respond in the church under pressure. So he's really using this. He's using it to show us how do you respond when, when you're not as comfortable? How do you respond when you have to do something that's out of your comfort zone? What do you do with that? I think he's really trying to, on the one hand, show us where we are. Because the great thing about our father is that he doesn't show us to embarrass us and say, look at that, what kind of faith is that? He doesn't do that. He shows us things in order to strengthen us. That's why issues that come across in my office, I always tell clients, I'll say, so you have a couple of things wrong. That's not the end of the world. Let's just address those and move on. Let's just address what's here and move on because most of the time when, when for some of us, I would say, we've been disciplined at times and so any kind of weakness or any kind of fault becomes a place of shame and embarrassment. 
And really, it should become a, a place of thankfulness that finally God is going to address this, and finally I'm going to get past being so controlling, or finally I'm going to get past of being so fearful. I mean, I want to live out from under those things. I want to get out from under that. Pressure right now in the church is being released, and he is drawing us back to the essence of the gospel, which is a relationship with him and with each other. This isn't hard. But it is difficult at times if we've been used to trusting in other places and in other things. There was a king in uh, the Old Testament in Chronicles. This is from 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9. This was a king named uh, Asa, A-S-A. And he had uh, created some an alliance with another country rather than trusting in the Father. And, his, and I can't read all of this, but... There was no peace where they were. He had created some reform, and Israel was really under the gun a lot. And Israel was under all this pressure, all this pressure. And in Second Chronicles, it says, At that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa. The seer is, a, is similar to a prophet. He came to Asa, the king of Judah, and said, Because you relied on the king of Syria... And did not rely on the Lord your God. The army of the king of Syria has escaped you. See, prophet's role is to come and say, hey, you might want to rethink that. Nathan confronted David after he had created all the sin and crazy that he had done. And Nathan said, look, I'm sorry, you're the man. You're the one that did it. So along the way, God will send people into our lives that will say, hey, have you thought about that? Have you considered that? And so this, this seer comes to Asa and says, because you relied on these others rather than the Lord, he has escaped. And then he says, look, weren't the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. And then this uh, seer says something, and here's a little free advice here. The Old Testament gives you glimpses into the character and nature of God. It always gives you, and don't ever go past little side comments, because this is really a side comment in this text. It's sort of like the seer just stops and says, and oh, by the way, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. Right now, his eyes are still looking to see if our heart is blameless or not. Our heart is blameless because of the cross. This isn't about perfect obedience. Because if that were the case, we're all doomed. This isn't about perfect obedience. He's simply saying to Asa, look, God just really longs to support those whose hearts are fully his. And so this, how we are handling where we're walking in this country is very revealing about our hearts. Would you agree with that? Very, it shows us, you know, where we trust. It shows us where we put our allegiance. It, it just reveals all of that. And he's currently seeking. 
to see whose heart is fully his. Because here's the deal. There's always purpose in pressure. There's always a purpose in it. Um, the last time I was here, I shared a lot more detail about injuring a leg last fall and being sort of out of commission for about six months. I remember laying on that trail in the woods and saying, God, what are you going to do with this? What are you going to do with this? I had a lot of options there. But I remember saying, God, what are you going to do with this one? Uh, I don't know. There, and you probably have stuff in your life that you might be under pressure right now. You could maybe be in chaos on the inside right now. And I know in a crowd this big, there's probably, there probably are some people that are there. And I'm saying to you, let's let God sort out what's yours and what isn't, and let's begin to create some steps to walk through this. Because I know this for sure. He's for us. He wants to help us. He wants us to succeed. And we have a part to play in this. And that's the thing I want to talk about just for a moment here. Since there's always purpose in pressure, and see, for Asa he ended up giving himself back and he ended up straightening some things out. But it took someone coming and saying, oh, by the way, the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro looking to support those whose hearts are fully his. The implication there is on this one, your heart wasn't there. So Asa changed and repented and so my question now for us is, how are we supposed to be living in these pressurized times right now? What is the expectation for us now moving forward? And I put it to you, and, and um, I would say up front that the expectation of the New Testament, the whole expectation of the whole New Testament, is that we're to be growing in maturity in the context of community, regardless of the culture. Growing in maturity in the context of community. Because, see, after salvation, uh, it's easy to kind of slip back into what we used to do. Anybody ever slip back? Anybody ever have some habits or like, man, I can't really break this? Anybody ever have anything like that? Just kind of you, you fall back a little bit. Well, part of that is, is we are introduced into a process the moment that we meet Jesus. And when you're introduced into that process of growing, there's some things that we have to do, and there's some things that God the Father has to do. And I just wanted to unpack that just for a moment this morning. Because, look, God uses two things. This is worth writing down. God uses two things to grow us and mature us. Just two. Aren't you glad it's not like 14? It's only two. God uses two things to grow us and, and mature us in the faith. The first one is people. That's right. That's right. All of y'all and all y'all's friends. All of y'all. He uses people to grow us up. He uses those relationships as highways into our hearts. 
he just uses people. He loves it because he wants us to live in relationship. He wants us to live in community. You know the second thing he uses? This one will be as, as much fun. He uses life. He uses experiences. He uses people and he uses life. And sometimes things will come, come crashing into our world and it's like, what is this? Well, God's around it because he's in you and he never gets surprised and he always knows what's happening with us. And because he knows what's happening with us, he knows what's coming in and he knows what he can do with it. That's why that trump card in Romans 8 is he'll cause it all to work together for good if you're in his kingdom. It doesn't say it's all good. Man, I wish it said that. <laughs> it doesn't say it's all good, but it does say that he will cause it to work together. He is out for our best interests. He is our biggest fan. And in the midst of it, he wants to create some changes in us. And you know, the, the interesting thing I've noticed about people is people tend to change from the outside in, and God tends to work from the inside out. Wow. We tend to clean up our language. We clean up, you know, we only drink beer in private. You know, <laughs> we don't want others to see us. You know, we got all those weird things. That's outside. That's all outside stuff. Now, it's important to address some outside stuff. But he wants to work on the inside. He wants to work on the inside. Because he knows, and those of us who have been in this process for a while, I know that if he will deal with my heart of criticism, I'll stop judging people. He knows if he'll deal with my heart of control, I'll stop being so selfish. But we try to say, well, just stop being selfish. Well, no. God usually wants to say, have you ever wondered why you're so controlling? I had a conversation with someone that worked with me in Greensboro one time. I, in fact, had hired her. And I may have told you all this before. I mean, at my age, I forget where I've preached. And <laughs> so if I've heard this, just go with it. But this friend uh, worked in the office with me, and we were having a conversation. And she said, hey, can I ask you something? I said, sure. She said, have you ever noticed that every time we have a conversation, you end up making it about you before we're done? She works for me. <laughs> this could have gone south. <laughs> and I said, huh. I said, seriously? She said, yeah, you, what is that? And we began to talk through that. See, because I can stop some language, but God's not, that's why God doesn't really get offended about all that. He's after a heart change. He's after something deeper. And I'm saying to you that in these pressurized times, sometimes he's using people and using your responses and using situations at work 
and using situations in your home to get at heart things, to change those. I, for one, am grateful that I had that conversation because she saved me from a lot of embarrassment and a lot of damage that I could have created. Because, see, the thing about being a leader or being a public person, and I have, I'm not really a public person now because of uh, the work that I'm in, but I used to be a very public person. And the, the problem there is if you're public and you don't pay attention, in the same way that you can bless a lot of people, you can also hurt a lot of people. And so these kinds of conversations are really helpful to keep you from doing damage. So at one point, I uh, ran through the section in Ephesians, and you all know this verse. So he uses people, he uses life, he changes us from the inside out. Well, what's our responsibility in it? What is our responsibility? In Ephesians 4, uh, verses 11, this is the section where he talks about the church, and it said he gave some as apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And now notice what it says. For the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So, First of all, one of the church's roles, since we're in this process of growing, is to create maturity in us, to mature manhood. A little bit later it says, so that we're not children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine and by human cunning. And then he says, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So he's calling us to grow up. Well, maturity is an interesting thing. I don't know how you define that. Like you can define some things, but maturity is kind of a gray. And I want to give you one way to just evaluate. Like for instance, if a baseball game is being played and the final score is four to two, there was a beginning and an end and we know who won. Well, how do we know who is mature? See, that's a gray one. One of the ways you can do, you can sort of check yourself on this is in Galatians, there's a section called the fruit of the spirit, and it lists nine things, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When you're in the process of growth, there should be more of those in you than there were a year ago. Are you more loving than you were a year ago? Are you more kind? Are you more patient? See, growth is an expectation, but it's a fair expectation because he gave his life for us. And so he's called us to this place of growth. In Philippians 2.13, Paul says something else that really is crazy. It says, as you've always obeyed, that's Philippians 2.12, as you've always obeyed, so not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is working in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. 
That's a collaborative effort. I saw a, a meme the other day that <laughs> showed a guy leaning on a shovel, and it said, don't lean on a shovel and pray for a hole. <laughs> Dig the hole. <laughs> Dig the hole. Work out your own salvation. It's interesting, the Greek right there, there's, uh, the Greek has different definitions or, or ways of parsing a verb. In the active voice, it has, act, it has tense mood and voice. And in, the active, in, the, uh, in this voice, in this verb, I'm going to get this out because this is critical. <laughs> it is a present imperative middle voice verb. And the fact that it is a middle voice means that the subject receives the action of the subject. If I say I'm going to wash my hands, I'm receiving that. If I'm going to say I'm going to wash the dog, the dog receives it. What Paul is saying here is you have to work out your salvation. You have to participate in this event. So when the Holy Spirit says through a person, have you ever noticed that you always talk about yourself? That's really him. That's really him saying, hey, you need to look at that. That's really him. That's not your mean neighbor. That's not your frustrated husband. That's really God maybe in disguise right there, just coming right through and saying, hey, have you thought about that? So then my role is to work that out. My role is to say, ah, Maybe I should look at that. Maybe I should pay attention to that. It's a collaborative effort. Because at the end of that verse, he says, because, he says, work it out, because God is at work in you. God is at work in you. See, when you met Jesus, he's inside. And so the assumption is, now that I'm in them, I can point these things out. We call that conviction. So he points it out. He lets us know how things are going. So what are we to be doing in these times right now? Well, we're to be continuing the process of growing because a lot of the chaos is meant, I think, part of one of the offshoots or you know, damage from it, from where we are as a culture, is some of the church have just kind of laid everything down and gone home and said, ah, it's not working. I'm telling you, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't give up. Just don't give up. And continue the day-to-day -day process of working out your salvation because God's working in you if you'll see this with a different set of eyes. I'll give you some examples of what I'm working on currently. Uh, I didn't want to uncover anyone else, so I'll uncover myself. For some reason, I don't know why, but I, I find myself at times being easily offended. I know none of y'all have ever had that. <laughs> but for a offended person, I find that I do that a lot. It's usually up here, and it usually comes out in ways that it doesn't need to come out. 
it usually comes out in judgment or criticism or something like that. So when Paul told, um, told these guys, you know, to work this out, he was talking to me. He was talking to me to work this out. What are you offended about? Um, I'm also, if I'm honest, I have to pay attention to not get defensive about small things. I get defensive over stuff that I should, it's stupid. I just shouldn't. I don't, any of y'all ever get defensive? Nah. <laughs> don't raise your hand. Those are the kinds of things that I'm talking about when he says, work out your salvation. Work it out. Paul told Timothy in a couple of places, don't neglect the gift that you have been given by the prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Don't neglect what's in you that you were given. That's a working out your salvation. Don't neglect. I have a, a, a sense that some in this room came here and maybe came into last year and God had really been working in your life and suddenly it's just not there. You were praying a lot. You were maybe an intercessor or you were doing some things and suddenly it's like, ah, well, Paul told Timothy, he said, look, don't neglect what's been given to you. And that word neglect means to be careless with. I had something happen to me uh, some years back. I was in a church, and this young lady was leading worship, and I didn't know who she was, really. Didn't know her. Knew her first name. And I went up, and I said to her, I said, I, that was so awesome. Thank you so much for leading. That's, that is so good. She said, yeah, you don't remember who I am, do you? I said, Mm -mm. <laughs> nope, sure don't. I said, help me out. She said, when I was 12, you prayed over me at a service at a large church in Wellington. Okay? And you said you thought the Lord was going to use me to help with worship. She's 12. And I said, I don't, obviously, I don't remember that. I prayed for a ton of people. And she said, yeah, and I held on to that. And I'm telling you, hold on to what the Lord gives you in these simple moments of prayer. Because here she stood on the stage killing it. And uh, she said, yeah, you don't remember. See, that's what I mean by don't neglect don't neglect. And the coolest thing of all, the Lord can start it all right back up right now. You can leave here today with a recommitment. And that's where we're going. You probably know by now that's where I'm going with this. We're going to talk about what have you neglected. So another thing in Timothy, he says, fan into flame the gift of God that's within you. The, where we are as a culture, having trouble getting together on a regular basis and having all different levels of faith and trust and fear and caution, health issues, all those things, he says, look, just fan into flame what I've given you. Now, as I shared earlier, uh, some of you have allowed what God has put in you to go dormant. 
you just kind of said, I don't know. I don't know about this prayer thing. For instance, I feel like there's a bunch of intercessors here, Michael. Which is a great thing. Because that builds a church. So if you feel like you have been called to a measure of prayer over the time, you should fan that thing and begin to pray again. And begin to put yourself back on your post. It's okay to start over. He wants you to do that. Now, I want to give you seven habits or seven little things that will help facilitate. These are like attitudes or postures or habits. These are things that happen in your hearts. And these are very simple, but I think they're going to be helpful. The first one is participate consistently. Show up when God does something. So if he does say something to you about, for instance, your attitude, don't just, you know, for me, go turn on Sports Center. Don't do that. Participate with him and be consistently in. Be consistently, I'm going to do this. I want to grow. Participate consistently. Pursue learning is the second one. And these are things that I've noticed even in my practice with clients. I'll see people, and, and if you want to know the truth, this list came from me looking at people who have grown and changed in my office and people who come in and after six months, they're still mad about this. And there's nothing wrong. You can get stuck in a place, and I understand that medic- clinically rather. I understand that you can get stuck. But generally speaking, people who grow end up, I see these things in them. So the second one is pursue learning. Most people who grow have a tendency to take things in. So listen to podcasts on prayer if intercession is something you've laid down. Listen to some other teachers on prayer, but pursue that. Leaders read. Leaders read. They just do. Take some things in. Take some information in. Third thing, involve people. Resist isolation. And I wrote this down and highlighted it and underlined it. No one matures alone. You just don't. So when he says, work out your salvation... You know, I'm fortunate that I have a wife that I can work these things out with. And she's one of the people that I can go to and say, I did it again. There's something freeing about getting outside yourself. So when he says, work out your salvation because God's working in you, that collaborative effort starts by involving somebody. Now, don't go telling everyone, but go to someone and say, hey, would you pray for me about this? Because I'm struggling here. Number four, let yourself be known. Let yourself be known. Tell trusted friends who will pray for you. And I'm not talking about necessarily bad stuff or sin. I'm also talking about just letting somebody know you and And talking to them and saying things like, I'm thinking about making this change. Could you pray about this with me? Or I'm considering this move. Or I'm considering this. 
when you let others in and they know where you are, what happens there is you're suddenly working it out in a collaborative effort in a community of believers and they can help. Number five, develop self-awareness. Self-awareness. Are you teachable? Are you flexible? Do you know if you're even flexible or not? I'm not talking about doing downward dog here. <laughs> Are you flexible in terms of when, when plans change, is that an issue for you? When somebody's trying to give you some new information, is it immediate? Do you put that up? Are you annoying? Would you know if you were annoying or not? <laughs> do you talk too much? Yes, I do. I'm married to someone who doesn't talk as much. And the Lord has used both of us to help the other one. She's had to learn to open up a little bit, and I've had to learn to shut it up. <laughs> stop. Just stop. Would you just stop? And I've had, come on, come on, come on, come on. Talk, 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 talk. Words would be helpful. Come on, come on, come on. And that whole thing is God helping both of us. Y'all get that? Remember, life and people. So develop some awareness about yourself. Here's a way to know if you are flexible and teachable. What have you changed in your life recently? What have you changed? Have you changed the way you're speaking to people? Have you changed the way you offer opinions? You know, what have you changed? Two more. Prioritize your life. Learn to say no, I guess, is another way to say that. You know, on Tuesday night, Chicago is playing downtown. Did y'all know that? So, I grew up, I had one black album I wore out. It was an album. For those of you who are younger, it's a round thing about this big. <laughs> and it spins on a turntable, and the songs, you, you can, there's a number of things you can do with it. So I grew up with them. I want to go. I wanted to go. I saw it early. I wanted to go, wanted to go, wanted to go. Well, it's Tuesday night. I can't do that. I mean, I have seven or eight appointments Wednesday. I just, I can't do that. I can't stay out that late. Now, if I were younger, we might go. But I just can't do that. That's what I mean by prioritizing your life. So if God says, put this down... Or if God says, you're dealing with this, or if someone in your life comes up and says, hey, have you thought about that? Work with it and learn to say no to some things and say yes to some things. And lastly, this is the last one, be intentional to focus about what's, being, about what's happening in your life. Focus. I read this interesting thing in a health journal recently about thoughts and it said that we when we're in a conversation our mind wanders 48 percent of the time 48 percent you know what that means you've heard half of what i said 
The other half, you're worried about if your chicken is going to get cold outside. You're thinking about your kids. You're thinking about who got beat yesterday. You got all this stuff happening. 48% of the time. So I'm just saying, think about your thinking. Think about, because he's called you to look at that. Because remember, God changes us from the inside out. Um, I don't know, a month ago I went to Charleston. One of my daughters lives there. My other daughter's here today, lives in Raleigh. But the one in Charleston has a son who plays t-ball, and they wanted granddaddy to come help. And so, you know, I went out. I was the first base coach. <laughs> They're six years old, guys. They're like five and six. And I'm thinking, okay, shoulders square, move your feet out, get your back arm up, be looking, focus. <laughs> and they're out there, and it's like, Granddaddy, can we stop at Chick-fil-A? <laughs> what? There's a game happening here. And then another kid hits the ball, and they all just watch it. <laughs> run, run, run. <laughs> the last one was the kid standing on first. And they're all out there drawing in the dirt. <laughs> and there's another kid getting ready to hit the ball. And I said, and this kid's name was Rocco. I said, okay, Rocco, what are you going to do when the ball's hit? He said, huh? <laughs> I said, look, listen to me. You see that bag right down there? There's a bag right down there. As soon as I tell you, I want you to run as fast as you can to that. And a parent or someone said, go. He took off. I said, no, wait, Rocco, come back, come back, come back. Focus. Sometimes I feel like with Jesus, we're drawing in the dirt. We're just looking around. He's saying, pray for your family. It's like, what? Huh? No. People who grow do their best to focus on the things that God shows you. So... He's looking for hearts, remember? He told Asa, I'm looking for hearts that are fully, that I can fully support, that are fully mine. So I would imagine that some of you, um, you can play. I would imagine that some of you maybe have some things that you've thought about and you thought, yeah, daggone, I let that, I let that grow cold or I got dormant. He had called me to some things, and I just haven't moved with them. Or you may be wrestling with something that he needs to just speak to, maybe, and you've gotten offended about something. Or So I just wanted to take a moment and just, you know, if we have in the future when there's more room and more people to pray, we're going to, there'll be a prayer team, but today I'm the prayer team. So I just want to pray for you. If you've got any of these things, if, if anything has spurned you and you've maybe taken yourself out of the game or you've taken yourself and allowed some things and like Paul told Timothy, don't neglect it. And maybe you've neglected some things he's called you to. I'd really like to pray for you. It'd be helpful if I knew if anyone was with me. So if you would like prayer, I'd like to, if you'd be willing, 
I'd love for you to stand so, so I can know if I'm praying for five people or 15 or what. So if you've got something that you feel like I've let go, okay. So Father, we come knowing that you've called us into a process of growing up. And Lord, honestly, some of us have, out of fear, just let some things lay down. Some of us, out of, I don't know, laziness, we've all chosen the easy way at times. And we just ask that you would forgive us and cause us to begin to work on some things again with you. We thank you that you're not a God that condemns us. And so I pray for these men and women that are standing, Lord, that you would put in them that fresh fire that you, that, that only you can do. That there would be a fresh fire in the hearts of these friends that are standing. Lord, they stood because they know they've heard your voice and they have some things in them that you want and you want to see it grow for their growth and for the, the building up of the body. So, Lord, help us work with you in the days ahead. I speak to anything that would keep our voice or keep our ears from hearing your voice. I pray that you would clear out and cause our hearing to be improved. Help us to not miss you. Lord, for those of us who have trouble focusing, help us to focus again. Lord, for those of us who are afraid to let other people in, send us a friend. Send us one trusted friend that we can begin to say, can we talk? Lord, show us what we need to look at and read. Help us to involve people at a deeper level. And Father, lastly, we do pray that you'd work on the inside of us. Take away those things that just aren't attractive and they don't attract your anointing. Take away those things that are just not helpful. Lord, thank you for being with us in the journey here. Thank you that you're not asking us to be perfect. Thank you that just like Rocco, I'm first, you can point us to the next place. Lord, just point us to the next place of involvement with you. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you are patient with us. And I ask that you would, I speak life into every dormant gift and motivation and heart desire. Specifically, some of you have had a heart's desire to do some things in the kingdom and you have felt it was silly. And I'm saying, if he put it in there, it's certainly not silly. Begin to share that with somebody. Begin to let people know. There's a big deposit in this church. There's a real big deposit here of leadership. There's a deposit of growth. Some of you are going to be leaders. And there's also a deposit here, a great deposit of helping people get out of the ditch. 
There's a deposit in this church that will help others. And people who are hurting will feel safe here. So, Father, I pray that you'd release all of that. I thank you. And we honor you for who you are because you're good. You're so good. In Jesus' name, thank you, Father. Amen.